Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Hi, a pleasant good afternoon from the Water Zone. I'm Bob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davey, and we are the host of the Water Zone, so thanks for joining us this afternoon. Mr. Davey, how are you doing today? Just splendid. Thank you very much, Rob. Great to hear your voice, too. And I have to apologize to the listeners for being absent part of the show uh, last week. That couldn't be avoided, right? No, no no problem. I know you're preparing for your overseas trip. And uh, that happens next weekend. So uh, we wish you good, uh, good stuff on that. And uh, so how's the weather out in sunny California? It is indeed, as you described, it's sunny, sunny Southern California. It's quite nice today, not too hot, and uh, and a great weekend coming up. I think just um, so you know, there were a couple of fires yesterday. We had kind of a very hot day yesterday. Today's not so bad, and a couple of early fires, early season fires. Small, didn't go anywhere, didn't take off. Well, yeah, we've had some fires here in Arizona and a little north of here. But uh, other than that, it's been pretty warm in the 90s. So enjoying the nice sunshine, uh, uh, clear skies, and uh, lots of stuff. And, and we are entering a drought or have entered a drought here. They issued a stage one uh, for Phoenix and for uh, Tempe uh, uh, zero. I, I, I don't know what the zero stands for, but they have a stage zero and then one, two, three, and four. So, um, But anyway, uh, that, that's what's happening here. So nothing new on the, on the forefront out in California? So we are in stage two drought here in L.A. County. And, of course, you know, I live in Los Angeles County, right on the border between Los Angeles and San Bernardino County. <clears throat> you can almost I can almost throw a rock into the next county, really seriously. Right. Uh, so I, yeah, just this tr- three houses over across the street and you're in another county. But uh, we are restricted to one day a week watering, uh, eight minutes per zone, stage two. Wow. And, you know, as I mentioned once before, I, I don't know how they come up with that and balance it against rotors, drip, or or spray heads because they each put out a different amount of water per, per hour. So uh, that's it's an interesting thing. I don't know if anybody's ever thought that through. But I can tell you there's a lot of stuff going on in the water world in California and such. And I want to bring in uh, our expert, resident expert on that, Ms. Chris Austin, who is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you all doing? We'd be fine. I can tell you from reading your your stuff every single day, and and, I, and again, that literally is the first thing when I turn my computer on that I, see, I I I go to every morning to see it. And I I see this week there's lots of different articles and lots of different things, but they seem to be contradicting contradicting themselves <laughs> on some of the things that I'm gonna kind of want to go over that. Okay. Um, and I know that um, you know there's. Uh, let me just start with one other one. There's some new report that California gro- groundwater policy um, uh, negates small and underrepresented farms. So, so some people are missing out on some stuff right now. Is that is that the way it goes? Well, you know, in the for the past I don't know five years, I guess, but we've been uh, working on Sigma implementation and. Uh, this has required these formation of local agencies to manage their groundwater basins. And these uh, 
groundwater agencies or GSAs are tasked with uh, developing a plan that includes all groundwater uses and users of water. And, you know, you're supposed to avoid, um, you know, these six undesirable results. One of them is, you know, running the groundwater basin dry or or drying up people's wells. Um, and they were, you know, the GSAs were meant to have a, a pretty uh, robust outreach to all the users in the basin. But uh, in the San Joaquin Valley, there's just uh, a lot of questions about people that were left out of the process. In some cases, uh, they don't speak English, and so language was a barrier. Uh, the Department of Water Resources did provide, does provide written translation services, uh, but, you know, GSAs have to take advantage of those. Um, just, I think it can be challenging for uh, these agencies to reach uh, some people just, uh, you know, we're, we're talking in disadvantaged communities, it, you know, it's, it's uh, can be challenging figuring out where how to meet those people and and bring them into the process. Um, and there's also providing resources and information so these people can meaningfully participate. And so as these uh, GSAs all submitted their groundwater sustainability plans to the state, and there's just a lot of questions about, you know, there were some agencies that really went out and tried to bring in all these different groundwater users, um, and they worked really hard at that. And there were others that, you know, uh, not so much. A lot of questions about, you know, just not trying to engage everybody, um, you know. And that's, you know, that's always the big fear that, uh you know, in these agricultural districts, it's the big water users, the big farmers running the show, and the smaller farmers are the ones that are kind of being left out. Um, you know, this groundwater management, it's very uh, complex stuff. Uh, it's not easy, uh, but it is, you know, it is a requirement to, you know, consider all these users and uses and users. And, you know, there's some real questions about people left out of the process. Uh, small right. farmers is one. Uh, you know, domestic well users is another. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, I was reading that the, the, the groundwater agency there is, says protecting all domestic wells is, is pretty unreasonable. But the, the, main, the, main, the main thing I was going to get to, which, which I find contradicting to each other, is, you know, experts are saying California has lots of water to expand forever. That and Jeff Keitlinger, who is the, the former metropolitan water guy, and then and then I re, then I read that California is rationing water, which you know, Chris just just said, uh, uh, you know, amid the the worst drought in 1,200 years that we have. So who's right? I mean, are are we over? You know, there's a reason Jeff Keitlinger said what he said, right? Because he believes that more people are using more uh, smart water products and things of that sort, and, and they're building less homes than they predicted. Which is really right? Do we have lots of water? Because I know the last time we had a big drought, uh, various water agencies were suing uh, 
the state water board or the, you know California because they said we have lots of water. Why do we need to cut back? I mean, what's the right answer, or is it both? I I don't know what to believe anymore. Well, you know, I I guess in a way, um, they're 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 both right in sort of a way. Um, what Jeff Keitlinger is talking about is that, uh, you know, Southern California in particular has added uh, population, but uh, water use has not risen with that that population growth. We're actually, you know, I think using less water with more people um, o- overall. You know, and it's also important to keep in mind that urban water use is is really the smallest sliver in the pie. Um, About 10% of developed water goes for urban use, and I think 40% of that developed water goes to agriculture. Um, And then the rest goes to the environment, but that's not water in the environment spread evenly around. That's a lot of that. Uh, the major portion of it is water that flows in the rivers in the North State that's just too far and too remote and too distributed, you know, to get our hands on. So, um, so urban water use, that's the smallest portion uh, of water use. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of debate going on because there's a mandate to, for you know people to be building more houses and people who do not like uh, development uh, and they don't want to see their areas grow and new housing subdivisions come in uh, don't like that policy and you know use water use potential water use as you know reason why not um, you know the the thing is we don't have enough houses for the people who are already here. Um, and part of solving the part of solving part of the homeless process or homeless situation is getting more housing, a portion, because there are people out there, you know, that that could, if they could have affordable housing, could work and could support themselves. Uh, you know, so it I it, it's kind of hard. We're we're never gonna fix things if we're we're never you know we say we're never going to build any more houses you know but on the flip side uh you know water use is is something that we all need to take into consideration and we all need to be better at you know how we use our water and you know so so yes i think there is water for development um you know as long as the urban populations keep you know conserving water or, you know, you adopting water saving practices. Um, but the, but it's just the smallest sliver. Yeah. Mr. D- Mr. Davey, I know I won't mention the city you live in for, for privacy for you, but tell me how the residents feel. I know they're, they're very sustainable where you live, but they are. So this uh, is a, you know, this is a very conservation minded city. Uh, here in uh, Northeast LA County, and yep. there's a lot. Yeah, and there's a ton of people here that that are conscious uh, of it. I know you've been here, Rob. Um, yep. I know you've driven around Southern California as well many many uh, times yourself, uh, Chris Austin. 
and and you've seen there's a lot of adoption already to um, to uh, drought tolerant plants, and a lot of people have converted their their landscapes even in the you know the the higher end sort of neighborhoods, uh, and that's happening more uh, more and more. Just drive around two or three streets here, and you you will see several people already in the in the process of uh, of doing that, but. Uh, you know, here's the deal. The consensus in the neighborhood here is why, as Chris Austin just said, uh, urban water use, such a small sliver of the pie, small slice of the pie, you know, why is the highest target for reduction based um, based on urban water use when it's only the smallest part of the pie? Chris, I don't know if you have an answer for that or not. Well, because because we don't have a lot of water going around the state right now. And I mean, people like to say, well, take it from agriculture, but there's a lot of farmers, um, uh, you know, I would say possibly a majority of farmers that aren't getting any surface water this year. So you can't, you know, they can't be curtailed because you can't curtail past zero. Um, And, you know, I think we kind of all have to be in it together. Um, and also because I think in some cases, you know, drinking water, there are, you know, is sort of a separate supply from agriculture and it's, it's, you know, there's just not a bottom line. There's just not enough water, unfortunately. Um, and farmers aren't getting it either, hardly any, you know, so there'll be a lot of groundwater, but even groundwater, you know, they can't, we have groundwater management now. so. The, you can't just keep pumping either. How, how well? Yeah, how well, I get that. Go ahead, Chris. I get that farmers have to grow food, um, and that the Central Valley is, you know, is a vibrant part of the of the uh, food supply chain uh, for the entire uh, for the entire country. Um, so, you know, a lot, a lot of my neighbors and just, you know people around on the social media websites and stuff ask are the same similar conservation efforts and the pressure on uh, ag to look at better, more efficient irrigation for their use. Is that kind of stuff going on as well? Or is this, or is this you know, just using the same old uh, processes and procedures as oh, no. used for years? Oh, believe me, farmers, they're business people. And water is a becoming the most one of the most expensive inputs so using it conservatively is is important and you know and what we're going to see i think we're already seeing in some parts you know we're going to start seeing less almond orchards because a lot of you know a lot of there's just not water for those orchards you know uh farmers on the west side of the valley have had zero percent for three years Right. So, you know, and there's only so much water you can transfer. And, you know, there are some transfers going on this year, but uh, not, you know, not a whole lot. It's very hard to transfer water when there's not a lot of water running down the system. You know, so it's it's just challenging in all ways. Yeah, I, I got to yeah. believe I got to believe the farmers because of things like fertilizer right now, um, water, gasoline. Uh, and even even I you posted also an article about uh, uh, climate change is affecting tomatoes for pizza sauce and spaghetti sauce and stuff like that because they they, they need water they're not getting what they need to have do, do you do you think that 
Sigma was rushed to the market, I'll say the market, to the, the people or the land, before it had a lot of time to really think about what the reactions can be towards that or the consequences? You know, I, I would have to say absolutely not. In fact, it was way, way overdue. The reason why groundwater management came about was because there was, you know, canals, irrigation canals were sinking due to subsidence from groundwater pumping and, you know, infrastructure and people's houses and some some of these, you know, parts of the Central Valley were sinking and causing damage. Um, you know, domestic wells all over the valley were going dry. The You know, there was a, a lot of impact. During, and, you know, the Groundwater Management Act was passed uh, in, you know, at, in those the 2014, 2015 were some pretty dry years. Um, all in all, I think it was a two-year bill, and, and uh, I was certainly writing about it at the time. A lot of public participation, um, you know, I, the thing is, Groundwater management is hard, and it, it you know, they, we, they certainly, the state certainly looked at models that other states and <clears throat> thought and kind of looked what others are doing. And I think the program is generally pretty good. I think it's going to be hard, but it's going to be hard no matter what. Um, but we have to stop depleting these these groundwater basins. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, in in Texas. <laughs> And that Ogallala aquifer with span seven states, they're they're taking that uh, aquifer down to zero. They call it managed depletion, um, and they know that they're depleting that aquifer beyond repair. And they're they're almost treat they almost treat it like oil. You know, you extract oil. We're not putting any oil back in. We're just you know, you 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 pump that oil field till it's done, right? Um, you know, and so they kind of have the same thing going there for uh, for groundwater. I believe it's Texas, but you know, um, that's just not you know that's just not going to work. Because oh. I, I I know I was reading also this morning about the University of Stanford study that shows subsidence will likely continue for decades, even if groundwater stops declining. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just. It's the way nature works in so many, so many ways. The impacts of things sometimes are not fully felt until years, decades, you know, afterwards. Uh, yeah, it's subsidence is a big problem um, in the valley, and areas are still sinking because without surface water, ground, farmers are still pumping. And while, you know, they're trying to mitigate some of that with these groundwater sustainability plans, you know, it's still, they're still allowed to take water out of the ground and there's still impacts going on. Um, <laughs> the trick is you got to, you, you can't just stop the decline. You got to put some more water back in, but there's just not a lot of water around to put back in, unfortunately. No, you're right. As much as the. Go ahead, Chris. No, Robert. Uh, I was just going to say, Robert. You know, as much Chris, as much as as much as the farmers are impacted and urban water users are impacted, 
in past shows, we've talked about other stuff. I mean, you know, there's the wildlife stuff, fish and other animals, watershed management, the riparian uh, ecosystems, the lake, hydroelectric power. I mean, the list goes on, right? Oh, it's huge. And, and we're really going to have a difficult time uh, with without hydropower, without without a lot of hydropower this summer. I don't, you know, uh, I, I, we're, I think we're just going to have to cross our fingers that we can get through. But if it's going to be hot, people are going to be putting on their air conditioners. It's going to be stretching the grid. So, you know. It's going it's to be tough. I know, I know uh, a while back, Chris and I had on our show, uh, a brewery, a beer beer brewery, and they were they were using recycled water, which is a big deal. And a lot a lot of places now are out here in Arizona are starting to do that. But what I find also interesting is that uh, California farms are exploring to grow agave for tequila. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we're you gotta adapt, you gotta change, right? <laughs> so, so the state's going to going to marijuana. And then we're going to grow, we're going to use recycled water for beer, and then we're going to re, repurpose the their farms for agave to make tequila. This should be a crazy hopped up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess when that all happens, it's going to be interesting going to meetings. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of hopped up, Robert, I'm also a proponent and advocate of, uh, of using uh, Hops that are grown that are arid-resistant uh, hops as well, so that that helps in the, the uh, brewing process. Yeah, maybe we should open. We should we should invest in one of those farms. Hop farm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <A> hop farm. <laughs> I can I can all see us now. Yeah, <laughs> that would be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much work we'd get done, but what the hell. <laughs> It could happen. Hey, so, uh, Chris, so Chris, I was just looking at the at the uh, all the lakes, right? All the impoundments. Uh, uh-huh. I just did the report. The report came out yesterday. I believe it was yesterday. Um, man, so some of these some of these lakes are getting down to fifty percent pool, sixty percent pool. That's pretty low for this early in the season. Oh, it is definitely. Yeah, uh, what's interesting is Folsom Reservoir is actually looking pretty good. Full, oh, cool. uh, but. Yeah. Uh, Folsom is is unique because uh, it has a huge watershed and a very small dam, a very small impoundment, you know, in ratio speaking. And so, uh, you know, they have to, you know, they don't try to store water in Folsom during the wet season. They they kind of keep pushing it through. Uh, because there's just so much water up above that that dam, and so even in a bad year like this, you know, Folsom filled up about uh, one of those few reservoirs that that you know that that actually happened. But it's you know it's not going to be stay that way because uh, they're they'll have to draw it down for you know for water supply for the Sacramento, you know, for Sacramento, for, you know, the Delta water quality standards. So uh, it, it won't last, but, but it's there. Uh, and what's interesting is generally uh, Folsom is often drawn down towards the end of the season, you know, and folks, people oftentimes have to remove their boats from the water over the, over the winter. So actually they do because the, 
the lake can fluctuate so much. But uh, but yeah, so they're they're boating on Folsom. Hey, let me let me ask one more question. Now we're getting to the end of the of the first half, Rob. But but I did want to I did have this question on my note to ask Chris, and it's about the you know we've talked about the new dam, the site dam that they've been looking to to get started. I don't know since uh -huh. 1950 or so, way back then. Do you think it's get you think it's going to get any better chance now that the now that this uh, this drought is getting worse and worse? Do you see the the dam proponents? I love saying that statement. Do you think the dam proponents are going to get the, the, you know another Another chance to, to to stand up on stage and claim their fame. Yeah, you know, it, interesting that they sort of made it sound like nobody was doing anything on Sites Reservoir, and then the drought hit. But and that's not really true. They've been working on getting that reservoir and moving it forward for years. It was a federal project, as the article said, but they they just came together and worked on finding their own funding and not waiting for it to be a federally authorized dam. So yeah, they've gotten funding for it. Uh, they've got a lot of support. The funding is very broad. You know, Metropolitan kicked in some money for it. A lot of water districts, you know, have, have helped out to make that one get built. And I think it has a very good chance of being built. Uh, there's a lot of environmentalists that are against it. Uh, they don't think there's water to fill it. Uh, but I don't know if the hydrology goes as it's supposed to go, or or people are projecting it's going to go as our climate continues to change. Then there would be a lot of high flows on the Sacramento River and a lot of opportunity to put water in that reservoir. So. Um, you know, and the reservoir is a Prop 1 project from, you know, the California funding for water storage. So it will be, you know, have water for farmers, but also be storing and releasing water for the environment. Uh, so, you know, I think it has a good chance. And I, it's interesting. I, I didn't see it as I, I don't think that they've slowed down on that dam. They've been working on it probably for the last eight, nine, ten years, I'd say, you know. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Or this effort, I should say. This effort began in earnest. Yeah. Well, getting through all the legal processes is, and permitting and all that, and the ecological studies is, takes a while. And, and, uh, and the engineering. I mean, you, it, yeah. it, there's, you know, that's not one dam, actually. There's going to be saddle dams you know, to kind of fill in the the valley, kind of like Diamond Valley. It's, it's I think Diamond Valley Reservoir has uh, three uh, dams on it to form that lake. Yep. So there's multiple dams, and engineering such a thing, uh, it, it you know, it takes a lot of work and takes years to really develop the design. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, the desal plan in, Cal in, in uh, Carlsbad took 17 years. So <laughs> projects take a long time. Well, Chris, we're coming up on our commercial break, and we do appreciate you coming on the show and giving us the latest and greatest and the goods and the bads of what's happening with water in California. For our listeners, please go to www.mavensnotebook.com. Become a subscriber. Be as smart as she is. Well, close to that. 
if you read her stuff every single day. It gives you the best in water news. And also, you can become a sponsor of that. So uh, we ask you to do that. It's a, it's a great uh, great way to get all the information that you're never going to hear in other, other articles or other other means and news. So, Chris, thank you very much, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Good evening, everybody. Have a good week, Chris. Yep. And we'll be back in just a few minutes and uh, with our second half. So stick around. It will be an interesting segment. Thank you. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. Eco-Series products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the Technical Service Hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. KCAA Loma Linda. Well, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone with uh, Chris Davey and myself, Rob Stark. Everybody's having a great afternoon. And Chris, you know, we're going to not be able to hear from you for a couple weeks as you travel to overseas. And we hope you have a safe and uh, productive uh, uh, visit over there. But uh, do you ever watch that television show, This Is Your Life? I've seen it, yeah. So you you know how that works, right? Yep, I think so. Yep. <laughs> well, 
you know, trying to get, you, you know, I go out and you go out, we all try to get guests to come on the show. And I, I had to get yeah. somebody that was at least equal to you. Okay. And I have a lot of okay. things in common with you. And, uh, okay. you know, I had, to have, I had to have somebody who is as brilliant as you are in irrigation, because that's important. Um, somebody that's in the industry that you knew, some guy that had uh, maybe even radio experience, that would, that would be a good thing. And, um, you know, it was it was difficult trying to, trying to locate people like that, and because you you know you set such a high bar, it's it's just tough to 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 match. I mean, I struggle every every week trying to come up to your standards and 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 get where we got. But um, I, I think you might know this person, and I, I wanted him to come on, and and he's also shares something in common with you and me and 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 Chris Austin. They were inducted into the Green Industry Hall of Fame. And that he was actually first of all of us, and deservingly so. So bring him on. It's Mr. Mike Barron. Well, hello, hello. Can you hear me okay? Hello, hello. Perfectly. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, what an intro. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, Chris. I don't know if I live up to that uh, intro, but uh, it sure is great being part of the water zone again. You know, I have recollecting that we started that, Rob, in 2015, or really you started it during the last uh, big drought, and we covered a lot of great topics, and, you know, Chris was still working there at Toro, and I think he would view with envy when you and I would leave the office about, when I think you left about 4.30, I'd leave about 5.15, I was always cutting it to the, the last second, but um Chris had a lot of interest in that in the water zone, and, and so did a lot of listeners. That's what I remember. Well, yeah, you have to live up to the intro because I don't have anybody else to fill this spot right now. So you're it. <laughs> just, good, just kidding. We we kind of want. Uh, I'll ask one question. I'm going to let Chris do the rest because uh, you guys are buddies. You work together at other companies. Uh, two other companies, and uh, you're, 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 I got to admit, you're one of my best, you, well, you're my two best friends, and I appreciate the camaraderie and, and, and everything else and the things that I've learned from both of you guys, especially in hydrology and hydraulic products. Uh, that's, you know, I, that wasn't my main thing when I came to the company. It was electronics, and uh, still is, but uh, I learned a lot from you guys and, and from and from Toro as well and the companies before that. But um, how do you see from your experience, Mike, what's happening with water these days? Now that we're in a second drought compared to the one that you and I were in before. You know, I've, uh, on the one hand, it seems to me as a consumer now and not involved directly with efficient irrigation practices that the communication effort, the uh, broadcast effort, the interest about the drought is, is not as high today. Now, I think maybe that's part uh, because back in 2015, you know, Rob, you and I were part of an effort at Toro to introduce water-saving technologies, technologies that would improve the irrigation efficiency of, of existing systems and allow and customers to maintain their landscapes and their their grass, but use anywhere from 15 to 30 percent less water, but maintain you know that 
that beauty and all the natural environmental benefits of a well-maintained landscape. Um, but today, uh, being outside of that effort, it just seems like there's not as much um, attention being paid to it. On the other hand, I recently attended a city council meeting at the city of Glendora here in the San Gabriel Valley, and there was a gentleman, I just remember his first name, Sism, and he uh, you know, worked for the water department. Uh, it seemed like he worked both for the water department in Glendora, but also for the, the city, and he presented a couple of long-range plans and proposals to improve water resiliency for the city of Glendora, which impressed me in terms of thinking ahead, you know, two to five years down the road. And he also presented a communication plan that the city of Glendora approved, the city council approved to implement, and that was a communication effort through the mailing, when they mail out the bills, that they mail out this information about the severity of drought, and they were going to implement a three a day, three days a week watering limit. When you know many of the water agencies that are more dependent on metropolitan water district water are going to two days a week, and you know the goal is to get down to something like fifty-five gallons per person per day uh, within a household, and then. Um, for Metropolitan Water District to charge in the aggregate any water agency extra money if they allow their consumers to their water users you know, to, to go above that. But I was taken with the level of material that the city of Glendora Water Department had put together already in anticipation that we were going to go through a very dry summer this year. And it showed preparation and I was very impressed with with that level of thoroughness, the breadth of the different ways that homeowners could avail themselves of not only information, but a more aggressive um, rebate program to be able to implement some of those water-saving technologies. So just from that one evening meeting and those presentations by this gentleman, uh, I said, you know, if this is indicative of what many of the other water agencies are doing, and, and I would think so, because I think in our history, both Rob and Chris, what we found out is these people that work at the water agencies, they care about their customers. They want to be reliable suppliers of, of quality water. Um, and yet they want to encourage and educate their consumers about ways to to save water. And so this is being de- replicated in a number of different agencies. I think we're going to get, get through this summer and and once again kind of rise to the challenge. And, and the city council at Glendora said, hey, we'd rather be part of the team with our residents to achieve this goal because the city of Glendora set a 20% water saving goal. And is they would rather be part of the process to help them do this than to be punitive and just write tickets and, you know, charge them fees and fines for not doing what they're supposed to do. So I like that orientation. That, again, is consistent with what I think we've all seen at that water agency level. Um, 
So I would say that we're about to see a lot of communication, you know, whether it's radio, whether it's direct mail with water bills, whether it's TV advertising by Metropolitan Water District. But I think I think we're going to see an onslaught of, of messages. And I've even seen the return of the messaging on the freeway electronic board. Uh, you've probably seen that as well. You know, we're in a drought, conserve water. Um, so, so I'm optimistic about what we can do. I know I'm watching my water use much more closely. And, and for those of us that understand distribution uniformity, we know that if you don't have at least one brown spot in your yard, then you're overwatering because uh, there's got to be some place where you're not getting that perfect coverage. But if you are, that means you're getting more than perfect coverage in other areas. So we just have to you know, be more willing to do spot watering uh, and to really pull back that controller watering time. So That's true. I'm optimistic. Yep. Chris, jump in. Hey, thanks. I will. Welcome, Mike. So all I knew for tonight's show was that we had a we had a surprise guest. That was what was on the show production sheet that I got officially from uh, from the producer. So I so I didn't know, buddy. So welcome. Well, thank you, thank you. It's always great to hear your voice and Rob's voice. You know, I I feel like uh, we might not talk for a few months, and then all of a sudden, when we get back together, it's always a very very positive, enjoyable event. Um, and just listening into Chris Austin and her ever important ever up-to-date information on water is just, is just great and that's another you thing guys, you know get, get people to listen well you guys know each other for how many years because you worked together a long uh, time before we all gave the toro yeah i think the first time i met chris was in a warehouse in, in, in yeah in azusa yeah don't you think like 1980 something yeah. or other probably in the exactly probably in the early 80s uh, Mike. Yeah. Um, in fact, and, and in, in fact, go ahead, buddy. No, no, I was just going to say, uh, in, in, in fact, uh, you know, the first couple of times I met you, uh, you know, the first time I think that we really got it together was on the uh, HR 100 valve. No, what was the name of that valve? EV 100 valve. We were we were exchanging a big yeah. yeah, we were uh, the company we worked for buying that valve out from another company and, and you know we were just uh having to run on that product and we couldn't get it up. And I, I met you eighteen years ago at a Ewing store in downtown LA. I when remember I running, that. When I when I was running a uh, smart controller company and we were talking about some other products that I had that I wanted your company to look at. So yeah. so Again, we, we if we total up the years of all of us, that's uh, we got a lot of years in the industry. But you guys are yeah. great. I love I love working with you guys because you you one you're smart. Two, you make me laugh <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you guys you guys are funny. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you and Chris talk some more because you guys are the, the you know you've been around longer than me in the business. But uh, see well, what I you guys got, think. You are proof positive that water and electricity do mix. <laughs> and because you're nice. so smart, you don't get electrocuted when you do that. <laughs> Rob, that that Rob is, is true. As, as far as I'm concerned, Rob has a PhD in electronics, and and, uh, and 
he's got the degrees to show it, and then he's learned so much about what's happening on the on the uh, distribution, the water distribution side of, of the business. Uh, but really, uh, both of you guys have just done amazing jobs at your respective duties, and uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you know, you mentioned that the electric boards that you drive, where you know they say buckle up or don't use your phone. You know, and Chris really abides by that. They, you know, they said don't drink and drive. In fact, his doctor was telling him to watch his drinking, so he had to go out and buy a bunch of mirrors so while he's drinking, he can watch himself in the mirror. <laughs> Chris actually told me that joke, so I give I give him credit for that. I I, I should be a comedian. My wife tells me I should just shut up and listen. So that's what I'm going to do. I wish I'd written down those. I mean, Chris comes up with some great quips. You know, I wish I'd written them down, but um, you know, you guys had heard about the California Coastal Commission back in just less than a month ago, May 12th. Uh, they denied 11 to zero. The vote was 11 to zero not to allow the Huntington Beach desalination plant to move forward. And I didn't know if you guys had had a show about that recently or not, but certainly during the drought. Uh, I mean, they've been working on this, you know, I think like 20 years to get it approved. And and you would think over all this time that they would have, there was some communication between what the Coastal Commission wanted and what the, you know, what the manufacturers of the, of the desal plant, which is Poseidon, which I think if I remember right, Rob, you got somebody from Poseidon or one of the associated companies that works with Poseidon to come on the show. Uh, a few years yes. ago, I had, yeah, I had the yeah I had the uh, CEO of uh, that company uh, from Israel, who uh, yeah was, they built the largest desal plant in, in in the United States, which was in Cal in uh, Carlsbad, and they were working on this one you're talking on Huntington Beach, also another one further up, uh, actually two more up the coast. They're still going, and like I said before in our previous segment, it took 17 years to get it all approved and and built and stuff, and that's just a long time. I mean. We keep talking about water issues and things, but I don't see them fixing the infrastructure with replacing pipes that are 100, over 100 years old. Um, and, and you know what? I was, I was thinking I was going to ask uh, Chris, Chris Austin about this, but you know what? I, I think the, the public needs is to see a top-down chart showing what happens when the drought subsides, when the when the uh, if you if you fill up the dam too high, it's too much pressure and, and weight. I mean, just all the little things that can happen that trickle down from from just one issue, and and I, I think that would be a good good segment for people to to see so they understand the whole scheme about water. I'm, I'm trying to get uh, uh, a gentleman running for uh, U.S. Senate here in Arizona who has a plan to he wants to build a water pipeline back from Mississippi all the way to Arizona and move water. And we, and Chris and I, I think you were, you were with me, uh, Mike also, when we had the guy from the, uh, uh, the water train the guy who bought 132 oh, yeah. rail cars a couple of years ago. And I guess he expanded this, but he's hauling water all over the country. So, you know, mm -hmm. they have pipelines for oil and gas. Why can't they have one for water? But. Well, the, the other thing that's interesting, I, am unusual in the sense that I have about 10 years of receipts, historic receipts from the city of Glendora. And I've got to admit that they do a pretty good job of setting up their rate structure because they, you know, 
during the last drought, what some of the agencies found out was that they were too reliant on the incremental charges for water use to run their water agencies. You know, they're capital intensive, so probably 90% of their costs all are fit, not, not personnel. Uh, it's the infrastructure that they pay debt on. So what's happened is that if you have 10% of your inflows to a water agency and uh, on a fixed, say, this is a use preparedness fee, this is what you pay no matter what amount of water you use, consume, and then the rest of it is kind of a tiered rate structure. The more you use, the more you pay, right? Well, if all of a sudden you cut back 25% of your incremental revenues that are covering your fixed costs, well, how are you going to cover your fixed costs? If you're using 85% of all your revenues to cover your fixed costs and you drop from 100% to 75%, you, you have a big gap of 10%, and oftentimes it's more than that. So the, the issue is when these water agents go out and aggressively reduce demand for water, they also put their financial status at, at risk or their financial health at risk. And and so, you know, it's a, two, a two-edged sword. But what Glendora has done is they've done clearly that about, I think, 35 to 40% of my bill is fixed, regardless of what I'm going to use. And then they get that inflow, that stream of, of income, no matter how much water is used, so when they when you reduce by twenty five percent or twenty percent, you still got all your fixed costs covered. So I think they're pretty pretty smart from from that standpoint. But you know, well, where do, where do both of you see the where where do both of you see the future of water in California? It depends on who wins the governor's race. So that's a great question, Rob, because you know. When, I mean, when was the last dam? What year was it that the last dam was built? You know, and I don't expect you to know because I had to look this up. 1970. 1980, New Melones Dam came into operation. So it was completed in 1979, back when the population of California was 23.7 million people. Today, we're almost at right. 40 million people. One single new dam, we've actually removed about 100 plus smaller dams from the infrastructure, uh, the water infrastructure of California. So these people that have been in charge of California politics, they have the very environmentally focused and, but they have a vision of instead of environmental abundance, where you're working within the environmental constraints, but you want to produce more water. You want to store more water. You want to produce more power with nuclear, for example, that you want people not to have to go through blackouts. You, you want people not to have to, you, you don't want the farmers not to have water to grow our food for goodness sakes. You know, when, before I give up my food, I certainly will give up my, my green grass. But why in a state of California, the size, the revenues that it generates, pursue an environmental vision of abundance rather than an environmental vision of scarcity. And that's what's in existence in the political infrastructure in California, is that environmentalism is being applied to produce less of everything, less electricity, less water. Um, 
instead of, hey, how do we do, how do we get more because we have more people and we want, we don't want them to pay these exorbitantly high costs for these things. How do we develop our ability to to deliver those resources that that are needed? And, you know, um, I'd never heard of that term, environmental vision of abundance. And who brought that to my attention was a guy that wrote a book by the name of uh, Apocalypse Never. And he kind of refutes the impending doom perspective of the global warming crowd um, that claim that we're in a massive extinction phase. And a massive extinction phase which means that 90% of us aren't going to be here by in 10 years, which is, which is just a crock. You know, we're going to lose more people on the streets of San Francisco and L.A. to fentanyl in the next 10 years than we are going to lose all over the world people because they die because of our, uh, global warming. Uh, and, and that's the proposal and the proposition of this book. And it, it struck me as a different way to, uh, to look at things that does not just say, oh, environmentalism doesn't count. No, environmentalism does count. Well, you know, that's... Well, that's, that's kind of a truism. It's like everybody, they're pushing to go to electric cars, and there's not enough charging stations. So when they start building all of those and everybody switches over to that, that's going to affect the grid. The grid can't take it right now. So it's, well, it's going to be an interesting challenge. So. Yeah, the grid, the grid can't handle without without more electric cars. You know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, I mean, so, yeah, it's not, it's not a, you know, typically we allow the, the marketplace to balance all those competing challenges between the resources that are available, not, you know, top-down edicts. Uh, that's no. called central plant. That doesn't no. work very well. No. But, well, guys, we're, we're, we're coming up against our NBC News Hour, and I just got to tell you, for me, it was a pleasure working with the best co-host of, my sh- of our show together, collectively, and I, I miss that. All, I miss the camaraderie and all of that, and you guys are just you're my idols in the industry, just so you guys know that. So I appreciate Chris and, and, and you, Mike. And uh, we're going to do this again when uh, Chris gets back from overseas. And we'll pick some good topics and bring some other people. I'm even going to check out that author for Apocalypse and Ever and see if we can get him on. It'll be a really yeah. interesting yeah. conversation. So thank, thank, thanks again. I appreciate you coming on. All right. That's Michael Schellenberger, in case you don't have the name. Michael Schellenberger. All right. I get that down. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, and Chris, 